Well, as we think about what the Bible primarily teaches, we turn to our new book of the Bible where we will be looking over the next few months, and that is Paul's letter to the Philippians. We had taken two weeks to prepare us for this by looking at Paul's first visit to the city of Philippi in Acts chapter 16, seeing the foundations of his ministry there. But today we are turning our focus to the letter itself, Paul's letter to the Philippians. And it is a letter of friendship between Paul and the Christians in Philippi. It is not a theological treatise like Romans or Ephesians. It is not an argument like Galatians. It is not even answering questions that the Philippians had like 1 Corinthians is. Rather, it is founded on the friendship between Paul and the Philippians. But what is that friendship founded upon? That's really the focus of these opening verses. That Paul gives thanks for their friendship that is founded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, if you don't have your bulletins or Bibles open, I'd invite you to do so and turn to Philippians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 8 as we begin our study of Paul's letter to the Philippians. So hear the word of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, Always, in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, we give thanks for your word. We thank you that you do reveal to us your word. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you illumine our minds, that you open our hearts and minds to understand. And so, God, I do pray that you would open our ears, open our hearts and minds to hear your word. Use me to proclaim your word in spite of all of my sin, to proclaim faithfully your word and anything that isn't true. May it fall on deaf ears and not be learned but may what is true be sealed in our hearts and minds and so shape us to live as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I want us thinking about gospel friendship or Christian friendship. And Paul here, the big idea that we hear in these verses is that Christian friendship is truly a joy. And it's a joy because the gospel shapes who we are as individuals, how we feel about one another together, it shapes what we do today and also what we will be in the future. And so it speaks to who we are individually, who we are as a group, what we do today and what we do 
tomorrow. We're going to look at those four elements in this passage to pull them out and see how they form a foundation of friendship for Christians. So first, who are we individually as Christians? When looking at Paul's letters, we can often blow by those initial verses because they all begin pretty much the same. But pretty much the same is not exactly the same. And Paul, in this letter to the Philippians, leaves out one common word that we expect to see at the beginning of the letter. He does not refer to himself as an apostle. It doesn't mean like he had stopped being an apostle. He just chose not to emphasize it. Instead, he says that he and Timothy, who's with him writing the letter, are servants of Christ Jesus. By choosing to identify himself as a servant, Paul is emphasizing what he and the Christians in Philippi have in common because they are friends. And so Paul draws attention to the fact that he and Timothy, though he is an apostle, they are still just servants of God just like the Philippian believers. That their shared status before the Lord is as servants of Jesus Christ. But that word servant is tricky for us to interpret into English, especially in America. And you may note that if you have your own Bible in front of you, there is typically a footnote on the word servant. And that is because the word servant also means slaves. And that's exactly how the people of Philippi would have heard it. They would have heard it as Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Because of America's history of racial slavery, we struggle to differentiate between our experience of slavery in this country and what ancient people experienced as slavery. Because to be a, a slave in Paul's day, it was not a racial thing at all. It was not the chattel slavery that America knew. Rather, it meant to be under the authority of another person. You were their property to be used how they wanted to use you. But it was not based on what you looked like or where you were from. And so this is what Paul is saying about himself. That he is under the authority of Jesus. And he is bound to do what Jesus would have him do. And this is true for all believers. Now, hearing that we're slaves of Jesus may not sound immediately appealing, but there are privileges to that. Paul calls the believers not just slaves or servants. He says they are saints. But guess what? Saints is another problematic word for us because when we hear the word saints, we immediately think of a different class or rank of extra holy people like St. Peter or St. Mary. But Paul here isn't saying that at all. He says that being a saint, essentially, what that means is to be a holy one set apart for God's purposes. And he says all the believers in Philippi are saints. All of them. Note that he even includes the officers of the church whom we may expect. Well, they may have a different rank. They're more important. But no, he includes them along with all the believers, emphasizing that sainthood is not some special status for extra special Christians. Sainthood is the common status for all Christians. And so when you put these two problematic words together, servants and saints, 
What they mean is that we are holy slaves of Jesus Christ. We belong to God and are set apart to be used for his good and holy purposes. Paul says that's who he is and that's who the Philippians are. It is what they have in common in Christ that more than being Roman citizens, more than being from the same social class, more than any other distinguishing physical characteristic, what defines them is that they are holy slaves. For Christians today, being servant saints of Jesus is our shared status before God as well. That no matter whether we are Presbyterian or Methodist, or non-denominational, or in America, or, or, or other countries, we are all under God's authority, and yet we are loved by Him and set apart for His purposes. It is true for all believers in Jesus. And if that's so, then how should we relate to our fellow Christians? That's really the second thing he gets at here in the passage. And you can't help but see the overflowing affection that Paul has for his fellow Christians. Verse 8 says it the loudest, really. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Did you hear how Paul used the word all? I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. The word all is used eight times, or used six times in these eight verses. Paul is making clear that his affection extends to everybody. He doesn't play favorites, he loves them all with affection. And it wasn't because Paul was just a super friendly dude. Rather, his affection is theologically driven, it is based upon the fact that they are servants of Jesus. If everyone is equally a servant, if everyone is equally a saint, then everyone is deserving of our affection in the church. As one commentator writes that the emotion in Paul's case, it's the outflow of his theology. It results in thanksgiving and joy for the people themselves, for all of them, even those whose antics so often seem to bring more grief than pleasure. Now, I know some of us may find this hard to believe, but sometimes fellow Christians within a local church may rub each other the wrong way. I know. Crazy, isn't it? And I've, I've heard this may even happen at places like Bethel Church. Maybe. Sometimes. That we may roll our eyes at someone else's behavior. We may let our mind drift off when certain people talk to us. We may have difficulty being nice to someone who we feel has failed us in the past. And yet Paul is crystal clear on the scope of his affection. I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. We will read later in the letter to Philippi that some people were struggling with this all part. In fact, Paul calls out two women by name in chapter 4, encouraging them to get along and to agree in the Lord. Because if we do not have shared affection for all, then we are reflecting something untrue about the gospel. We are reflecting the idea that some sins can keep us apart. That some frustrations 
can separate us. Now, this does not mean that each of us in the church have to be best friends and talk all the time. But it does mean we need to have affection for each other. We see each other as sinners, for we are all sinners. We are all saved by Jesus as Christians. We see that the very same blood that Christ shed on the cross saves me and saves them. So because of what Paul and the Philippians share in Jesus, Paul always gives thanks for them when he thinks about them in prayer. It's easy to not give thanks for people when praying for them. To pray that God would correct them or change them or help them come around to my way of thinking. But Paul does not say that. Paul says he gives thanks for all of them in every prayer he makes for them. And he does so joyfully, not begrudgingly. He has genuine emotion and affection in his heart. And that affection increases because they are partnered in the same work of the gospel. Like I said, the third reality which Christians share that is addressed in this passage, that we have shared work that we do for God's glory. We are partnered together for gospel work. In verses 4 and 5, Paul says he makes his prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Note that he doesn't simply say that the Philippians received the gospel. That is, they believed in Jesus. They did that, but they did more. Rather, they are involved in a partnership for the proclamation of the gospel. The Philippian Christians, see, they did more than simply believe the good news. We know they believed the good news. We saw that with Lydia, as well as the Philippian jailer in the last two weeks. But they did more than simply believe. They joined Paul as partners to make sure others came to believe the gospel as well. It wasn't something they waited until they had expensive religious training for. It wasn't something they waited until they had enough time to fit it into their schedule. They became partners from the very first day because all believers in the gospel become proclaimers of the gospel. We may not all be preachers and teachers, and that's okay, but we proclaim it in other ways. We proclaim it as we live a different life from the world's. We proclaim it as the way we speak is different from the world. And we proclaim it when we support those who do preach and teach or go into the unreached mission fields to bring the gospel. You see, the Philippians had been financially supporting Paul in his missionary endeavors. That when Paul visited a new city, he never wanted to ask those residents for money because he didn't want to muddle the message of the gospel. To come and to preach to everyone, come and be saved freely in the grace of God and also hook a brother up would confuse the message. And so all the churches he had previously visited would support him as he went to new places. And so really, the letter to the Philippians is Paul's thank you note for their support. And it's, it's quite the thank you note, actually. As someone who really struggles to write thank you notes... You know, you get to, dear so-and-so, thank you for the thing. 
it was good. I like you. There's a lot of card left that's blank. How big can I sign my name? Like, what do you write? Paul, Paul has no issue with this. I struggle with that. But Paul is overflowing with emotion. How much I love you and pray for you and give thanks for you. And we're united in the work of the gospel. He loves them. And it shines through as he says, thank you for what they have done for him. He goes on in verse 7 to say, I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. That even though Paul is in prison many miles away from Philippi, he and the Philippians partake of the same grace of God in the shared work of proclaiming the gospel. They are doing it in different ways but they are working in the same kind of work. And that's just like you and me. You may not be up here proclaiming the gospel, but you may be doing it in different ways. For we all share in the same gospel work, however God has placed us. We may do it through selflessly loving our spouse or through raising our children in the Lord by serving others in our community or by doing a good job at work to contribute to our society. We may give to the poor and to the needy. We may comfort the weary and the grieving. And we may simply tell others why we have hope in such dark times as right now. And so Paul is overjoyed that even though he's in prison, they're doing the same work. He is overjoyed that he gets to call them friends. And his joy is further increased because he knows that their work they are doing now points forward to a greater work that God is doing. And that is the fourth thing he pulls out here in verse 6, one of the best known verses in all of Philippians where Paul writes, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That the gospel partnership that Paul and the Philippians are doing is evidence that God is working in them. And if God is working in them now, today, that means that work will continue in the future. Because when God starts a work, He finishes it. We're not like that. We are more than happy to come inside with half the flower bed weeded. We are more than happy to stop at one coat of paint in the living room. We tend to put down a book if we haven't reached the end. And we may have a stack of unfinished books lying around. We don't always finish what we start, but God does. But what work is He doing in us exactly that He's going to finish Paul is not thinking of any work that God does through us, like building a ministry or a church. You see, sometimes when we try to do things for God, those things do go unfinished. There are plenty of churches that get planted that end up not turning into churches. There are churches that dissolve or die eventually and no longer exist. In fact, do you know if the church in Philippi is still meeting? I don't think so. Christians may have grand plans that don't come to fruition and don't get completed. 
But Paul's not referring to works that God does through us. He's referring to a work that God does in us. And that work is called sanctification. A spectacular spelling word and the theological term for God making us holy. It is the gradual process by God's grace by which the Holy Spirit makes us new in the image of God. That's what sanctification is. That is the good work that God is completing. But even though God is doing this divine work and He is the Lord God Almighty and can create the world in seven days, it often feels like God is working in us at the speed of PennDOT. Slowly. Very, very slowly. Creeping along as we struggle against our sin and strive to live a holy life. Just as we get frustrated that the flagger is still at Franklin Farms, so also we get frustrated when we burst out in anger at someone for the billionth time. Or when we talk behind someone's back and say something cruel and we think about it afterwards and wish we hadn't have done it. We know we shouldn't sin and we immediately regret it and yet we still sin. And so this good work that God is doing in us can very much feel like it is never going to get complete. And so Paul assures us it's going to be completed. But not until the day of Christ Jesus. Not until the day Jesus returns. It's what our New Testament reading says told us and described in 1 John 3. John said that when Jesus appears, we shall be like Him. That we live as God's children now, but one day we will actually be holy like Jesus. Not divine and all-powerful, but free from sin and perfectly holy. What a glorious shared future that we have together that all of us have. It's key that we remember that we have this future, not just us individually. Because as frustrated as we get with our own slow sanctification, we are often to get even more tempted and frustrated by our fellow Christians who are also unfinished works. We wonder, hey, what's taking this guy's sanctification so long? He's such a sinner. Why can't they be less angry, less gossipy, less stubborn, less selfish? Less, can you be less sinful, please? God's not finished with them yet. Just like He's not finished with us. But He will complete that good work. Just as He will complete the good work in us. And so Paul rejoices with the Philippians knowing that God is bringing all of them to the same conclusion, the same eternal destiny. He knows that we can get frustrated with one another. He knows the all in this is really hard. But he points them and says, look at where we're going. Look at what God is doing with us. And that foundation forms, that is the foundation of their friendship. It is a friendship that we have with fellow Christians. It is a friendship we have with Christians we've never even met around the world. That we are all holy slaves of Jesus. We belong to Him. We are set apart for His holy purposes. 
And that truth should fill us with genuine affection for all of our brothers and sisters, no matter how frustrating they can be, because we partner together in proclaiming the gospel. And so, yes, there is much that pulls us apart. There is much that frustrates us about one another. But for those of us who trust in Jesus, we all share in this gospel foundation of our friendship. We all share in the hope that one day Jesus will return and we will be finished works in the hands of a holy God. Brothers and sisters, this is what we have in common. This is what we share. More than anything else in this world, it is what makes us friends. And so let us, like Paul, rejoice in this partnership. And let us give thanks for one another. For Christ has brought us together in friendship and partnership and is leading us to the day of Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Oh God, we do give thanks for one another. And we rejoice that we have friends in Christ. Lord, it can be easy to grow frustrated with one another. And so I pray that you would help us to remember that what we share far outweighs what we squabble over. And so unite us. I don't know exactly what it would feel like to have oil dripping down my head into my beard, but David seems to say that's a good thing. And it is good and pleasant when believers dwell together in unity. And so, Lord, help us to have that unity of friendship and affection for one another and lead us in the gospel work you have for us to do as we pray, Jesus, come back soon and finish this work in us and make us holy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.